0: As I mentioned in the introduction, we're working our way through different Psalms that help us unwrap this gift of Jesus that's been given to us again this Advent season. Today, Psalm 85. If you've got a tablet or a phone and you wanna follow along as I read it to you, I'm gonna refer to the verses as we go through our message today. Here's how it reads. Lord, you were favorable to your land, you restored the fortunes of Jacob, you forgave the iniquity of your people, you covered all their sin, you withdrew all your wrath, you turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that the glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground. Righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. That's the text for our meditation this morning. Well, I've been trying to figure out this thing called poetry through the book of Psalms this Advent season, and I'm kind of dragging you along on that adventure because poetry, it turns out, is not something I'm kind of naturally good at. Although Believe it or not, my mother has written several fairly good psalms, and I got a couple of granddaughters who are are pretty good at it, but it skipped a generation, I think, or two with me. So in my ongoing poetic education, I found this quote this week. Listen, the poet's trade is not to talk about experience, but to make it happen. And then my imagination sprang to life a little bit more when I read these words from the same source, this time quoting John F. Kennedy's tribute to Winston Churchill when he said he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And that conjured up an image in my mind that is right on the fringe of being forgotten. And that's a world at War, which happens to be the focus of my undergraduate studies all the way back in the day where I, I spent hours watching the documentary series by that same name, A World at War. And there I sat dumbfounded at the scenes of the fire bombings of London and the devastation that ravaged England and Europe and the Pacific Islands that as Americans, we had only a small taste of at Pearl Harbor. But even that fades. I mean, my generation, the baby boomers and those that have followed after me have grown up without such experiences, with the exception of a brief moment on 9-11 that scar the memory and shape our view of the world. Save, of course, those who have actually gone out and faced it by serving in those places where death and destruction still rage on to keep us safe, together with our police and our our first responders who put themselves in harm's way for us all. Psalm 85 bears the heading for the choir master which means that it was written for the gathered people of God, and it appears to have been written at a time of deep despair. Now, we don't know exactly which moment in the history of God's people that might be, but for the sake of this sermon, we're going to imagine that it was the return of the exiles from their captivity in Babylon. So let me march you up to that moment real quickly because the Assyrians had wiped out the northern 10 tribes of Israel in 786 BC and the two tiny remnants of the nation around the city of Jerusalem, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, were conquered and carried off by Babylon in 584. And the city was reduced to to ruins. And in a forced march, Many of the inhabitants of Jerusalem were taken off to the city of Babylon to be assimilated into that empire because such were the tactics used to simply erase the cultures of those that they conquered. But after 70 years of exile, suddenly and unexpectedly, except to God, of course, the Persians came out of nowhere and overran Babylon, and the captives who wanted to were allowed to return home. And their return, although it was incredibly exciting, turned out to be very hard and very humbling because they had to literally start over. On the top of the headlines Thursday afternoon as we gathered for our staff Christmas party in a venue that had a dozen television screens lining the walls was the story of the thwarting of a possible shooter at Emory-Riddle University in Daytona complete with pictures of the weapons and the ammunition that had been found. I woke up This past Friday morning, and Lois had received a message from her school at 10.52 p.m. reporting that there had been a threat of a shooting at Haggerty High School, but that it had been investigated and it was deemed safe for everyone to come back to school. And of course, it turned out to be nothing. But you know what? I said goodbye Friday morning with a degree of anxiety. Tornadoes ripped through the Mid-South, wreaking unbelievable destructions. Did you see the pictures of Mayfield, Kentucky? It looks like a war zone. I'm studying the book of Revelation with the women in the women's Bible study on Wednesday morning and over and over are the depictions of the political and the spiritual forces at work in this world trying to destroy the pure gospel of salvation alone through faith alone in Christ alone and they almost begin to overwhelm. The refugees from Babylon wondered out loud if it will always be this way wondering if God had forgotten them wondering if they were somehow being punished and so do we the psalmist begins Lord you were past tense you were favorable to your land You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You gave iniquity, forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned away from your hot anger. Now, these poems were almost certainly set to music. And if I could get these sermons done about six months in advance, I would have arranged for the whole band to be part of my sermon this morning and help me carry across the experience of this psalm. But for this morning, you'll simply have to use your imagination. Here's what I want you to picture as I proceed into these next verses, that the band is slowly building toward a double or a triple forte crescendo and all of the voices in unison with every single person gathered would then cry out, Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. And then the lights would go down even further and the music would grow dark and it would shift into a minor key and the questions would come pouring out. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now the mention of the name Jacob in the opening verse of this psalm literally opens a floodgate to the humble beginnings and the less than virtuous character of the namesake of this nation, Israel. Jacob, you may remember,'s name meant one who deceives, and he was the second-born twin of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham, and he had conspired with his mother Rebekah, to steal his brother's birthright, which led to him having to flee from his own land to his uncle Laban where he fell in love with Rachel only to get a taste of his own medicine when his uncle tricked him into marrying Leah instead and then taking Rachel also as his wife along with a couple of handmaidens thrown in to produce 12 sons, leaving his uncle he took his flocks and his family and he set out to return back home, frightened about what his brother Esau would do. And on the way, he wrestled with God, who there changed his name to Israel, which means he has striven with God and with man and has prevailed. So Jacob did return and he settled in the land that God had promised to Abraham. Only to have a famine drive the whole clan to uh, take refuge in Egypt, which is the beginning of a whole other chapter of the story. Today, I want you to understand that the idea of God taking a sneaky, conniving little hustler like Jacob and transforming him into the one through whom God would ultimately fulfill his promises is a reminder to you people that it is all grace all of the time. For there was nothing in Jacob or in his descendants or in us to make us somehow suitable candidates for God's gifts. God has forgiven much and restored often. Jacob, I think, is the poster child for the entire human race, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You ever get tired of confessing your sins here every week? I mean, it's sort of redundant, isn't it? I mean, are we not forgiven once and for all? Do we not live continuously in Christ? Why Why this self-abuse week after week? Except that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And the history of faith recorded in the Bible is that people continuously forget God and go chasing off after other things to satisfy our deep, deep longing for happiness and for security. And you name it, we have tried it. Be it our work lives or our success or our conservative values, And even our religious experiences become our idols in which we put our trust. Now imagine the cymbals crash, followed by a drum solo and a steel guitar flourish, that would jolt you to your feet, would make you lean in, and the words would burst from your lips, show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And then the room would go silent as death. No one moves. Everyone holds their breath. What will God say? It is a tired, old metaphor, but it still works. You could hear a pin drop. And then a pure, crystal clear, solo voice. I don't know, Nikki, your, mind, your name comes to mind. And the voice of one becomes the voice of the entire throng, reduced it to one. Let me hear what God, the Lord, will speak he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is, is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. What will God say? Jesus. Jesus is the word that God speaks born into the world to bring salvation near to us. And mark my words today, people, what God speaks, God does. He gives peace to all of his saints. Now, don't be a fool this coming week. Don't turn back to chasing after everything that catches your eye in your search for happiness and for security. God's steadfast love. Do you remember I told you this this last week? It's a summary of the entire Bible in two words, steadfast love, and it is irrevocably displayed for all people for all time on the cross. Will God be angry forever? No, never more. For in Jesus, God's wrath is now silenced once and for all. And better days may actually return in our lifetime, or they may continue to deteriorate. But the word of the Lord, God's steadfast love, that's Jesus, endures forever. Listen, listen, listen to his word. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And now steadfast love and faithfulness meet, and righteousness and peace kiss each other. The future is absolutely certain, and it is secure in his hands. So trust in him. Do not despair. Jesus has risen. Jesus has ascended. Jesus will come again. Heaven and earth will meet permanently. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground, and righteousness will look down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. God is good, which means that even the miserable things of this present world are in his hands. And he is at work turning evil against itself and using it to destroy the power of sin in our lives and the power of death and the power of the devil himself. Even when the enemy thinks that he is winning, he is only destroying himself in the process. That's the testimony of the cross. Now, this song ends with a march from being still and knowing God, from motionless meditation on his steadfast love to a determined forward movement take up the cross that is believe in jesus with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your strength and with all of your mind and follow after him do you know jesus footsteps well look he said blessed are the poor in spirit those who mourn the meek those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted and reviled for my name's sake. Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, specifically and intentionally show steadfast love to those you meet. So here's my prescription for you for the week. Start by talking to yourself. Rehearse God's record of salvation. Did you know that that's what weekly worship is all about? That we tell the stories again and again so that we can rest in his presence here today so that we can leave here and go out and look around at those around us? Someone taught me this little threefold formula years ago and sometimes I've even managed to put it into practice. So I want you to suppose this morning that your child, your spouse, your friend, you pick, is hurt, angry, afraid, sad, or generally frustrated and in a bad place this coming week. Step number one, acknowledge that whatever they are feeling is real and it is valid and it is significant, even if you don't think that it is. Because I don't know if you've learned this yet or not, but telling someone that they shouldn't or that they have no right to feel the way that they feel is not really all that helpful. Instead, you can say things like, that must be really painful, or that sounds miserable, or "I, I can't even begin to imagine what that must be like for you. Step number two, balance feelings out with facts. Now, I do not mean quoting statistics and making arguments to prove that their feelings are frivolous. What I mean is recalling the past where God's steadfast love has sustained us. Because that's what I did with you this morning in this sermon as we walked through the psalm and experienced together. Help them to discover those moments when God's peace penetrated the pain and they felt his presence. Did you know that that's one of the reasons why Bible reading and Bible study and devotions and sermons and conversations with other followers of Jesus is so critical so that you can build your repertoire of God moments to balance feelings with facts? Step number three, you promise to walk alongside them no matter how long it takes. You assure them that you won't abandon them. One of the questions that we've been wrestling with as the leadership of St. Luke's as we seek to nurture faithful followers of Jesus in the years ahead is, who is your 2 a.m. friend? That is, who's the person that you know you can call even at 2 o'clock in the morning? Acknowledge the feelings, balance the feelings with facts, and promise not to abandon Jesus is God's gift that keeps on giving. Steadfast love, that was Advent week number one. Shouts of joy, that was last week. And today, the peace that passes all understanding. Listen, God's steadfast love displayed in the past pronounces peace in our present. Amen. Now this peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith unto life everlasting.